Listener Production. I'm Dr. Sophie Calabretto, and this is The Science Briefing. Today, medicinal cannabis, the evidence that supports it, and the science still trying to make sense of it, with Cosmos Magazine journalist Emma Perfetto. So Emma, I want to lay it out for those who might not know, what is the difference between medicinal cannabis and the cannabis people use recreationally? I guess the important thing is that there is a difference. They are different. There are more than 500 different chemicals in the cannabis plant itself and significantly less found in medicinal cannabis. Right. Medicinal cannabis products, the ones that are prescribed as medications, they contain only one or a combination of two ingredients from the original plant. These include two different compounds cannabidiol or CBD, and then tetrahydrocannabinol or THC. The cannabis that's used recreationally can come in sort of many different forms. So it's going to expose its uh, users to any number of those 500 chemicals found in the plant. But in the pharmacy, you're only going to find products made from CBD or THC or a combination of the two. And in fact, there are only currently two registered medicinal cannabis products uh, available here. So what can you tell us about these registered products and what does registered mean exactly here? The first one are called nibiximols. It's typically sold as like a mouth spray and they're used to treat spasticity for people with MS. The second one is cannabidiol. The brand name specifically is called Epidiolex. And this is a CBD-only oil, sort of used as an additional therapy for people with seizures associated with uh, a number of syndromes. Sure. They are on the Australian Register of Therapeutic Goods, basically this public database of therapeutic goods that can be legally supplied in Australia. Mm-hmm. Of these two products, only Epidiolex is listed on the Pharmaceutical Benefits Scheme or the PBS. So that's a list of government subsidized medications. They're like other prescription medications, so they're only available to a patient who has received a written authorization from a registered medical professional. But there are a whole range of other medicinal cannabis products that you can find in Australia. They're just not registered. Okay, so how do people access these medicinal cannabis products if they're not registered? There are a couple ways to access these. One of them includes the Special Access Scheme, or SAS, um, and basically this means that if a medicinal cannabis product is unapproved, a medical practitioner can organise access for their patients through the Therapeutic Goods Administration, or the TGA. Mm-hmm. Even with those schemes, there are often still some pretty massive barriers to accessing these kinds of medications in the first place. So what do these barriers look like? In the case of doctors, there can be a hesitancy to prescribe medicinal cannabis because they may not want to be associated with it necessarily. They may not want to have the sort of weed doctor label associated with them. Also, patients may not be aware that they could potentially be prescribed medicinal cannabis because 
advertising it to consumers is actually illegal under the Therapeutic Goods Act of 1989. There's also the cost associated. As I said before, apart from Epidiolex, patients have to pay full price for the rest of those medicinal cannabis products that I mentioned. And this cost can vary from as little as $50 to $1,000 per patient per week. Wow. Depending on what condition they're having treated, the particular product that they need and the dose that they're prescribed. A thing to note also is that the unregistered medicinal cannabis products are still considered experimental. So their effectiveness, it's still being explored in scientific studies. And so the science around medicinal cannabis is still pretty patchy. There are clinical trials happening at the moment to demonstrate their effectiveness or potentially their ineffectiveness at treating a range of conditions. Let's unpack some of the science going on with medicinal cannabis. First, taking a look at where it does work. There's evidence that THC decreases nausea from chemotherapy. There is also moderate evidence that CBD can help with fibromyalgia pain. And, you know, you hear heaps of anecdotal stories from people who have found that medicinal cannabis or just cannabis um, has helped them with treating certain conditions, for example, with their anxiety. But the science on that hasn't caught up necessarily. A 2019 analysis of previous research in this space actually found that there's insufficient evidence that cannabinoids help with mental health. Specifically, there isn't enough evidence to provide guidance on the use of cannabinoids for treating mental disorders within a regulatory framework. And this seems to be a common thread. There is sort of proof in certain pockets for the use of THC and CBD for treating certain conditions, but the science as a whole sort of remains pretty incomplete. Okay, so spell this out for us a bit, Emma. The incomplete science, what are some examples of this? For example, despite heaps of evidence from animal trials, the current clinical evidence for medicinal cannabis and non-cancer chronic pain is incomplete. Another example, CBD, despite being heavily prescribed in the US and Canada for sleep, actually to date has no evidence in any way that indicates that it makes people sleepy. And proving the science comes down to just putting medicinal cannabis products through further high-quality, randomized, placebo-controlled clinical trials. And there's an interesting case study to look into here in Australia at the moment, actually, involving low-dose CBD. Okay, what do we need to know about the low-dose CBD trials? So low-dose CBD involves medicinal cannabis medication containing up to 150 milligrams of CBD per day. Interestingly, the TGA actually made a kind of uncharacteristic decision to make low-dose CBD directly available over-the-counter in pharmacies as of February 2021. And this was based on a review that focused on the safety of low-dose CBD and not necessarily its efficacy in managing specific conditions. So currently, there's not really any evidence that proves that low-dose CBD works. But once all the required clinical and safety trials are completed, 
we will start to see these products available to consumers uh, without prescription. Now, a number of trials are currently underway, trying to make the drug fit certain conditions, pretty much. Um, And they're starting with the treatment of insomnia. So three trials have already been completed in Australia, looking at low-dose CBD and insomnia. But none of these trials have shown any effect yet. (laughs) Some have alleged that these trials failed because of faulty trial design, but others think that it's simply proving that low-dose CBD just can't do what they were testing. Okay, so if they're not having any success with low-dose CBD, what next? Well, there are still more trials on the way, two specifically, trying to prove low-dose CBD's efficacy. There's one at Woolcock, which is a medical institute that researches sleep disorders. And there's another company called Aveco, which is a biotechnology company. So we'll have more by the end of the year about whether low-dose CBD works for treating insomnia or not. And what might end up coming out of these trials is that the TGA may have to consider slightly increasing the dose that they allow. What kind of concentrations are we talking about? Specifically, between 200 and 300 milligrams. This is important because if they find that that 200 to 300 milligram dose actually works, the TGA will be able to lift the limit on the low-dose CBD and will be able to potentially stock pharmacy shelves with a insomnia medicinal cannabis medication that actually works. So Emma, if we look around at some of our neighbours, namely places like the United States, they're much further along in their medicinal cannabis journey. What's your take on what the next couple of years might look like in Australia? Yeah, so as I mentioned earlier, there are still heaps of barriers to accessing medicinal cannabis, but it does sort of appear that the dial is slowly shifting. One study from the Lambert Initiative at the University of Sydney actually found that most Australians who are taking cannabis are still medicating with illicit cannabis, but they also found that the numbers accessing those prescription products have risen pretty dramatically. So this survey actually found that 37% of respondents had received a legal prescription of medicinal cannabis, which is a really significant increase from just 2.5% reported in a 2018 study. And respondents in this survey also overwhelmingly reported positive outcomes. I think it was 95% reported improvement to their health. I think that the conversation around medicinal cannabis is definitely changing. And I think probably the stigma as well is shifting a little bit. And I'm looking forward to watching as the science slowly catches up with where everyone sort of wants this to be heading. So I think it'll be a really interesting space to watch over the coming years. Emma Perfetto is a science journalist for Cosmos Magazine. You can read more of Emma's reporting by heading to cosmosmagazine.com. This episode was made possible by reporting from Rachel Williams. The Science Briefing is produced by Listener and the Royal Institution of Australia. This episode was produced by Jake Morecambe. Mixing by Dave Stein. I'm Dr. Sophie Calabretto. Catch you next time.